0: Okay, First Corinthians chapter six. This morning we're at verse nineteen. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We just pray this, we study this morning that you'll give us insight into the word, understand how it applies in our lives and in our relationship with you, especially. Um, We pray that you help us to uh, understand the guidance that you give us as well through your word. And we just pray you'll bless our time now as we study it. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so let's read in 1 Corinthians 6. We'll read 12 through 20 for the last time, I hope. (laughs) I got this one down. Okay.
1: (laughs) All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything.
2: You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body... The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body.
3: Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power.
1: Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of the prostitute? Never.
4: Do you not know that he unites himself with the prostitute as one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh.
0: But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him.
1: Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body.
2: Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own.
3: For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body.
0: Okay, so last week we were looking at verses 15 through 17 and that We finished up Paul's, it says prohibitive argument against uh, fornication. Prohibitive in the sense of don't do this. Um, Our bodies are members of Christ. They should never be joined to a prostitute. Um, And that is unthinkable as far as Paul is concerned. Therefore, flee immorality, as it says in verse 18. It will destroy you. We look at the passages in Proverbs where it talked about the results of going into an adulteress. Where um, Solomon is warning young men of what was going to happen to them if they do that. Uh, They'll go down into shore. Her paths lead to death. And so today we're going to look more at the positive aspect of um, our being joined to Christ. You know, what should come of it. And so we see that in uh, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So this tells us here that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Back in verses uh 15 and 16 he said your bodies are members of Christ we talked about the the body of Christ now we're temples of the Holy Spirit so all these talk about our unity with God uh, through our salvation and this uh, verse is another one of those uh, do you not know verses Um, they're supposed to know this already and he taught them this and we actually already had him tell them this. Let's turn back to chapter 3. Someone like to read verse 16. Do
3: you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you?
0: Okay, so he's told them that this before. And the first part of our verse 16 is very similar to the first part of verse 19 that we're going to be looking at today. Um, now one of the things that's a little bit different, in 3.16, it says we're a temple of God. In 6.19, it says we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so here we have um, passages that says, you know, we're a temple of God, we're a temple of Holy Spirit, which implies that the Holy Spirit is God. And that's one of those places where you can show that the Holy Spirit is God. Do you remember where the other one, there's another passage similar to that where you got almost parallel verses and one Paul says, well not Paul, it's Peter, he says spirit and the other one he says God. It's in the book of Acts. It's where Ananias and Sapphira sell the property but they, they misrepresent how much money they made from it. And Peter says, you've lied to God, and he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's one of those passages that I've seen referenced before to show that the Holy Spirit is God. Um, I've never seen First Corinthians used that way. But it's similar, very similar. So, um, we're a temple of God. And goes, Paul goes on to say, um, in verse 19, you're not your own do you not know who is in you whom you have from god that you are not your own so we already know that our bodies are temples of god but he says uh, you're not your own you can't do whatever you want with our own body because our bodies belong to god that's what he's saying here Um, and this is personal when he says your body both words are singular there will be other passages um, both in uh, Ephesians 2 where it talks about our bodies together being built up to be a temple of God first Peter Peter says the same thing so that's kind of a um, function of the church as the body of the t- you know, Christ being the temple of God the whole group but here he's addressing us as individuals So each individual has the indwelling Holy Spirit and is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And thus, our bodies are sacred. The temple is holy unto the Lord, sacred (coughs) unto God. And Paul goes on to say, you've been bought with a price. Um, The price is the blood of Christ. So God owns us. He's purchased us. And we see ownership. In chapter 7 someone like to read verse 23 for us. You were
1: bought with a price. Do not become bondservants
0: of men. Okay. You were bought with a price. We see that again. You see the end of verse 22. Uh, likewise he who is called while free is Christ's slave. We have the ownership. God owns us. We cannot do whatever we want with our body. Um, Let's look in First Peter, chapter one. First Peter, chapter one. Someone like to read verses seventeen through nineteen. So he's telling that Peter is telling him to walk in holiness because they've been purchased by God to redeem something. Um, the words translated redemption through the Scripture some are, are reference to the marketplace, um, and I've seen, you know, where people will compare our redemption from sin to the old slave markets where you go and purchase a slave for yourself. We've been purchased out of that and removed from that market, removed from the, from sin. Okay, so back to 1 Corinthians 6. So Paul finishes this little section with the admonition, since we've been bought, since we belong to God, glorify God in your body. So our our bodies are to be used to glorify God. Um, so this is dealing with an issue of uh, what really developed into a uh, Gnostic religion later, in, in, uh, later on. That the, this distinguishing between the body and the spirit, and so they had this idea that the, you know, our our human spirit is what communed with God. Our body didn't. We could, you know, our body was irrelevant. It could do whatever we wanted to. We we dealt with that back in verses thirteen and fourteen. Um, and, and so he's telling her again, you know, you can't say this. Sp- the spirit is important, but the body is not. The Bible says our bodies are just as much a part of our Christian walk as our spirits are. You know, he's combating this Gnostic idea. Um, now we saw earlier how seriously God takes this defilement of the temple. Let's go back to chapter 3 again. We already looked at verse 16. Something like read sixteen and seventeen now.
3: Do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are.
0: Okay. The word destroy could also be translated defile. God says, you defile the temple, I'll defile you. This is a fairly serious threat here. <laughs> you destroy the temple, I'm going to destroy you. And he's not talking to unbelievers here. Their bodies are not temples of God. He's talking to believers. So this is a serious admonition. Your bodies are temples, don't defile them. Um, and that fits into this whole problem that Paul's dealing with where... Um, they were involved with prostitution, sometimes with uh, temple prostitutes. Now to make a little bit of a... since we're talking about the body as a temple, I want to talk about a, another aspect of it that, that Paul doesn't mention here. And this relates to our worship of God. Going back to the Old Testament times, God chose Jerusalem as a place where his name would dwell, where he would dwell. That's the place where his temple would be. The Jews were commanded to worship God there at the temple. So let's turn back to 1 Kings chapter 8. This is Solomon's prayer, I believe, at the dedication of the temple. 1 Kings chapter 8. Someone like to read verses 28 through 30.
1: Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, <coughs> that your eyes may be opened night and day toward this house, and bless the place of which you have said, My name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen to it, listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear from him.
0: Okay, so as you go through this whole chapter, they were to pray toward the temple, they to worship God in the temple. This is the place where God's name or his presence dwelt. Now let's turn to in 1 Kings to chapter 12. So this is after uh, the kingdom split. Jeroboam takes the 10 northern tribes away. And he has a problem with, because Jerusalem's outside his kingdom. And he's got all these people who are Jews who are supposed to go to Jerusalem three times a year. And, and, and he's, he has his problem. So someone like to read verses 26 through 30. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 through 30.
3: Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. The heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem behold your gods O Israel that brought you out from the land of Egypt he sent one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship for the one as far as Dan
0: okay so here he's trying to take the people away from Jerusalem cut that link to Jerusalem because he's afraid they'll go back to Jerusalem and then want to become part of the kingdom of Judah again so and, and you read all through the books of kings, even the, the kings in the, uh, of Judah, about they, they, they did not destroy the high places. So there are all these different places throughout the kingdom where the people would go. It doesn't say they were worshiping idols. So in many cases, I think they were worshiping Jehovah, but they were not worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem. So it was not proper worship. Let's turn to Psalms. Verse, the fifth psalm, Psalm 5, the Psalm of David. Something like verse 7 for us. But I, by your great love, can come into your house, and reverence, I bow down towards your
4: holy temple.
0: Okay. David is bowing down to God in the temple. He's going to the temple to worship. Let's look at Psalm 27. Someone like to read verses 4 through 6 here. Psalm 27, 4 through 6.
1: One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. How far? Through 6. For please. he will hide me in shelter in the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. You will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer his tent sacrifices that shall be joy. I will sing and acknowledge him to
0: the Lord. Okay. So here's David desiring to be in God's temple so he can worship God and offer sacrifices and worship God there and sing. Because that's where it was done. You had to go to the temple to worship God. Now let's turn to John Chapter four. There's a change coming. John chapter four. This is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. Someone like to read verses twenty through twenty-four.
3: Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must
0: worship in spirit and truth. Okay, so he's telling them, you know, the Samaritans worshiped on Mount Gerizim, and the Jews worshiped in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, We're not going to be doing that anymore. Where do we worship God now? Where's the temple? Each of us is a temple within ourselves, we each worship within ourselves. Um, you know, um, look at the Psalm twenty-three. You know, David ends his that prayer. You know, may I dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Well, we do. You know, we have that answer to our prayers. We dwell in God's house. Our bodies are temples of the Lord. We dwell in our bodies. Um, let's turn to Second Corinthians, chapter six, and we'll see where Paul. Takes this concept and ties it back into the issues that the Corinthians were having. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So i like to read verses 14 through 16.
2: Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and what this have in common? For what fellowship can have light have with the darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Baal? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What argument is there that between... What argument? Agreement. That sound right. <laughs> what agreement is there between the temple of, of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will live with you, and you walk with them, and will walk with them. Oh, no. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to them, and you will be my sons and daughters," says the Lord Almighty.
0: Okay, so here we see the uh, Paul's application of this, because uh, he's talking about you know what part do you have with Belial with the worship of, of idols, and the issue you know what we had in chapter six was prostitution you know, being joined to Christ and in spirit and being joined to a prostitute in body where, uh, with the case of the temple of Aphrodite, the prostitutes were the priestesses of this uh, pagan temple. And So we see here in 2nd Corinthians, how can you be joined to, you know, you can't have this fellowship between the two, they don't belong together. And so this is an application of, of our being temples of, of the body and so uh, the application kind of verse seven one therefore having these promises let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of god our temples are to be holy and separated so that we can worship god as we ought okay so that's that ends up chapter six. I get to go into chapter seven. Um, just read verse one for now. Now, concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So this is really a second part of this book. We have a change in in, in what Paul is doing here because. Um, Paul begins to answer specific questions that the Corinthians have asked him. We see this, um, you know, the things about which you wrote. Let's turn to chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Someone would like to read verse 17 for us. I rejoice in the coming of Stephanus and Thoreautus and Achaeus. Because they have made up for your absence. Okay, so there's, uh, these three men have come from Corinth. He said, I rejoice that they've come. And it is assumed by all the commentaries that they brought a letter with them from Corinth that had all these questions in it. So this is an assumption, but they came with these questions. And now Paul is addressing the specific questions uh, that they are asking. And so the key phrase, going back to chapter 7, verse 1, is it's, as the it, New American Standard says, now concerning these things. Okay, concerning the things about which you wrote. Um, chapter 7, verse 25. Now concerning virgins. This now concerning. Chapter 8, 1, now concerning things sacrificed to idols. 8.4. Therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols. We go to 12.1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. And then finally we get to chapter 16 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints. And then verse 4, or excuse me, verse 12, but concerning Apollos. Apollos had been ministering there, and you probably wondered, is he coming back? <laughs> and so he talks about that. So they add all these questions, and, the, and here's where Paul answers those. Now the first part of the book that we've been covering, Paul is dealing with problems that he's heard about. Going back to chapter 1, verse 11. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there is quarrels among you. So he's been informed about this. This is not a letter with a question. He's heard about a problem they're having there. Um, in chapter 5, verse 1, it's actually reported. But there's immorality among you. So He's heard these reports and he's been dealing with these problems. Um, now we will have more problems addressed in the latter part of the book. Chapter 11 is and we'll read it for communion today is where they were abusing communion and then chapter 15 on um, resurrection deals with the problem that some were teaching it there is no resurrection so you still got some more problems to deal with but a lot of what we're seeing now is going to be uh, answering questions so back to verse 1 now concerning things about which you wrote it is good for a man not to touch a woman now, he does not restate the question. Sometimes when you have someone taking questions from the audience, they'll restate the question so everybody knows what the question is before he gives the answer. Well, Paul doesn't do that here. We kind of have to infer what the question was. Um, but the answer is, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So what does it mean to touch?
1: Well, it says sexual relations.
0: Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> That's it yeah, this is not going up and poking someone. Um, Touch a woman is a Jewish euphemism because mm-hmm. they don't want to say sexual relations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's. let's look at a couple of places in the Old Testament where this is phrases used. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 20. This is where Sarah ends up in Abimelech's Harem, Genesis 20, someone would like to read verses 3 through 6 for us.
4: also say he is my brother I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands then God said to him in a dream yes I know you did this with a clear conscience and so I have kept you from sinning against me that is why I did not let you touch her
0: I did not let you touch her that has to do with sexual relationship so how would you like to have a dream where God says behold you're a dead man yeah <laughs> Okay. That's, yeah I mean, it makes it pretty clear God's serious about this why is it such a serious thing right here because in chapter well not just married chapter 17 god promises a son to abraham through sarah to be named isaac isaac will be born in chapter 21 so god's made this promise that Sarah will bear Abraham a child, and where is Sarah? In hair, right? She's in Harem. Abel- yeah, I'm um, like, I don't know, sometimes I think, is, is this Satan's doing to try to, you know, break, you know, uh, oppose God's promise, oppose God's plan? It could be. God says, I did not let you touch her. God says, okay, enough of this. <laughs> I've got a promise to keep. <laughs> Get her out of the harem. Uh, also let's look at proverbs chapter 6 so that's one example of do not touch her relating to uh, sexual relations Uh, chapter 6 of proverbs verse 29 and verse 32 just those two verses So these are parallel verses. So in 29, it talks about touching her. Verse 32 is adultery. You know, that's not a. Going up and poking somebody is not adultery. Mm-hmm. It has to do with sexual relations. So um, that's what this phrase is. Um, and so, Marie, what do you have? NIV? Uh,
1: no, um, English, or English, English, standard.
0: English Standard Version. So it says. You know, sexual relations, which is what it means. It's interpreted there. Um, so Paul's saying it's it's good, and this is a word that means good and beneficial for a man not to have sexual relationship with a woman. Now a background, the comment the commentaries are saying that in the Corinthian church we had um, basically two main groups one of which we've dealt with already who said sex is no big deal it's just the body it has nothing to do with our relationship with God and then you've got the other ones who have basically rebelled against that and they're saying sex is so horrible and it's so bad that we shouldn't do it at all we should be celibates We can devote ourselves completely and totally to God's service as celibates. And we see that in the Catholic Church. The nuns and the priests are celibate. So they can devote themselves to God. They have this attitude that you can serve God better by totally abstaining from sexual relations. And that doesn't work. We've seen that historically in the Catholic Church. So, what Paul is doing here is he's partially agreeing with them, just partially. And we saw that back in chapter 6, verse 13, with, a, with the other crowd, where he's, you know, he says, well, of course, you know, the stomach is for food and food for the stomach. Is, you know, it's no big deal. If you want to eat peanut butter sandwiches, that's fine. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> doesn't affect your relationship with God. So he partially agrees with them. And here it's the same way. He kind of partially agrees with them, but you've got to see the other side of this story. Um, and we'll see later in the chapter, uh, Paul is saying that celib- celibacy does allow you to devote yourselves to ministry because you don't have to worry about your spouse. You don't have to worry about family. Um, you can go off by yourself and, and be fine. And, and in that sense, it's good. But he does not prohibit marriage let's look uh, at verse 36 it talks about who ought to be married and who should not be married verse 36 would someone read that for us if any man
3: thinks that he is acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her
1: marry.
0: Okay, that's good enough. You know, it's is not a sin to, to go into marriage or to let your daughter marry. So it, it's not and some people apparently were saying that in Corinth. And you say, no, that's not a sin. Um, let's also look at first Timothy chapter four. 1 Timothy chapter 4, would someone like to read verses 1 through 3?
1: Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received,
0: thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Okay, so here we see the... he talks about doctrines of demons and includes the forbidding of marriage. So Paul's definitely not teaching here that you should avoid marriage. And as we get further into the chapter, the discussion is, well, who should marry and who shouldn't, and more along those lines. So... Um, We're going to take a break here before we get into verse two. But um, again, he's he's going to be talking about marriage, and it's going to be in the context of the problems that the Corinthian face. The Corinthians have been facing with the sexual immoralities, because verse two starts out, "But because of immoralities." So he's talking about marriage related to sexual immorality he's not going to be a, this is not going to be a broad discussion of all the different aspects of a marriage relationship he's going to focus just on the, the sexual relation part of it so uh, but we'll be getting that when he when gets into verse 2 we don't have time to even get started on that now, so we will close and Joe would you like to close for us please
2: Good. have interest Lord it's written for us that you've spoken to us through your words. We thank you for that. We thank you that we have the scriptures to go to. Thank you that we still have the freedom in this country to group, join as a group and, and worship you. Pray that those freedoms won't be taken away. Pray that we'll be speaking up and um, that we will protect what we have. We thank you for the word that's um, traveling throughout the world, for the missionaries that are spreading that, for places that are harder to get to, and how um, they're doing strategic plans of of working into those places that are hard to reach for Westerners to reach into. We thank you that your word is not being void as it goes out, that it is being um, transferred to those people and that the people are listening. Thank you for that. Thank you for this hour. pray for that next hour to come when Robert brings us a message. pray we'll be here with worshipful attitudes and ready to receive what you have for us. And we thank you for the fellowship we have. Your question, we pray.